I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. Mr Hinch, welcome to That's Life again. Yes, mate, good to talk. How is life? It's very good, actually. I've just uh, recently said how I love the fact that summer is coming because um, I mentioned on Facebook you can with this warm weather and the, you can open your your house doors or your balcony doors and let some fresh air blow into your your house or your apartment. And I, after winter stuffiness, I think it's a great feeling. I was going to ask you before you even talked about that: mm. uh, Are you a winter person or or, or more a summer person? I'm an autumn person. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't go these days. I don't go to the beach. I don't go swimming much. I mean, I've I've been to Hawaii and not swum at all. Um, but I uh, winter in Melbourne can get a bit depressing, a bit, a bit long, a bit depressing. But uh, yeah, I love autumn. I love autumn. I love spring. I love because I've got this big balcony garden. I love to watch the plants regrowing in spring. Even some that look like they may have almost died over winter. You know, I've got a Clive James Japanese maple, which turns to stalks uh, every winter and then uh, after having these beautiful copper-coloured uh, leaves in, in autumn and it, it comes back, it's come back like a dream, you know. I, I bought, I, ironically, I bought this uh, from, from Bunnings, a Japanese maple, when I'd read this beautiful poem from Clive James some years ago when he thought he was going to die and his daughter bought him a Japanese maple and he said, I just want to live long enough for, to watch it bloom. And he, he survived about five or six years longer than that. So I went out and I bought one myself to commemorate Clive. And uh, to, to, he's gone now, but he's, his Japanese maple lives on. Well, he survived so long, I think he was a bit, a bit embarrassed. Because... I think, good point, yes. <laughs> Did you know him at all? Because he was an interesting Australian character. Yeah, no, I didn't know him very well. Um, Jackie uh, Weaver knew him extremely well. I think they were both born in Cogra. Um and I enjoyed the way he, what he did on television. I enjoyed his writing immensely. He, he had a good turn of phrase. Uh, the only time I didn't like Clive was he wrote the most cloying obit for Princess Di. It sounded like an unrequited lover. It was quite quite embarrassing to read, actually. Mm. What about daylight saving, Darren? Are you uh, for, against, or it doesn't bother you at all? Should be year round. I love daylight saving. I think it's fantastic. I think that Queensland should have come on board long ago, and I think probably if you had a, a vote in Queensland today, you'd probably get it through. Actually, I, I think that um, it, what revolutionised the, the time zones, Adelaide should should forget the half hour, and Melbourne, Sydney, Adelaide should be on the tame, same time zone. Leave, leave Perth at two and three hours away. But for Adelaide to be on this half-hour kick-out, it's just... To me, it's stupid. It's bad for business. Um, it's not good for, for people trying to work on the stock exchange and stuff like that. I don't know why they do it. They don't need to. Darren, we're going to talk about uh, Gladys Berejiklian and yeah. her resignation uh, yeah. recent, recently. What do you make of, uh, of She that? had to. I think she had to resign. I was surprised she didn't resign about a year ago after she appeared at ICAC and gave some very damning evidence. This is over Darren Maguire, her secret partner for five years, uh, and which she didn't know, and this is about the power of ICAC, they had tapped conversation between Gladys and Daryl, 
And at one stage, he said to her, he was telling her about one of his little business, shady business deals, he'd made a few thousand dollars. And she said, and I found this quite damning, she said, I don't need to know that. And he said, no, you don't. Now, if, if my partner said to me, I don't need to know that, that would imply or infer that I, I'm doing something shady. And she survived that. And she, I mean, she, she did very well during COVID, to give her a credit. I think she did very well. I think she locked down Sydney too little too late, but she otherwise, she fronted up. She did very well, I think. Um, but she had, to, in the end, she had to resign. I suspect, and this is total hinge, um, hinge supposition, she has a new partner whom she met at ICAC, who's an SC. And, I, and she would have had a private meeting with ICAC, that's what they do to people with witnesses, and show them a bit of what's coming up. I think he probably looked at some of the evidence and said, you got no choice, you got no choice, you got to resign. And I think that's probably why she did it. Now, what annoys me about all this is that Barnaby Joyce got stuck in here and, and called ICAC the Spanish Inquisition. And he said that uh, it was so tough in New South Wales now that politicians couldn't do their job. Now, this is bullshit. I mean, if you can't do your job within the law, you shouldn't have a job. Um, and some of those laws which they, um, which you say they can't follow were, were brought in probably by his government. And I found the most extraordinary attack because ICAC doesn't say you're, you're guilty. Nobody's saying that Dallas Berejiklian is guilty. I don't know. We haven't seen the evidence. But they have decided there's enough material there to have a look at what she knew and when she knew it and what did she do. I mean, there were, when she was treasurer and then premier, huge grants were made in the Wagga Wagga electorate, which is the um, the electorate of Daryl Maguire, her secret boyfriend. Um, now, she should have come clean on that. And she she, she went into parliament and said, all, all members, including my own party, if you have any suspicions of bad behaviour, go to ICAC. Well, she didn't. She didn't go and dob in Daryl. She... Uh, when there's all sorts of deals supposedly going on in his life uh, involving immigration and land and stuff like that. So I, I, I think Gladys is in, in fairly tough, in a fairly rough position. But the, what the unfortunate thing is, the fact that she's gone, um, the federal ICAC uh, is further away than ever. I mean, it's a thousand, more than a thousand days since the government promised a federal ICAC or a federal integrity commission. Uh, I pushed hard for it when I was in the Senate. We got nowhere. And the new, the version that, that uh, the government is, is not pushing but is sort of floating is is, uh, is a Clayton's ICAC. Uh, it's, I, I think the IBAC in Victoria isn't quite strong enough, but the one that they're floating for federally is rubbish. There'll be, there'll be no public hearings. You know, why not? Uh, there'll be no publication for the public unless it goes to, to a court case. Now, I think transparency is important, and I think evidence before an ICAC, which is given under oath, should be out there. I mean, New South Wales ICAC has, has put people in jail, and rightly so. Well, it's very important, isn't it? Because it's integrity in public office, uh, and, and you don't get any bigger issue than, than that. Um, as you said, uh, the IBAC in New South Wales does have teeth. Um, 
The one in Victoria, though, it, it, it's called, uh, sorry, it's ICAC in New I, South Wales. IBAC down here. IBAC here in Victoria. It seems to me from the articles I've read that have appeared in the Age newspaper, it's not being properly funded either, whether it no, has enough power or not, I don't know. That's the thing where government has control. They have been underfunding it, which, which, is, which is a disgrace, that thing. Look, when I was a senator, I ran a series of public hearings about ICACs around the country. We went to, uh, we had hearings behind closed doors uh, in, in Melbourne, in Sydney, in Brisbane, which I think they call the Triple C up there. And and I had, um, you know, some very good information being fed to us, uh, some confidential, to see what a national ICAC could be and should be. And Labor is right on this. They were very slow to come on board, but now they're right on board. Now Albanese says it'll be part of next year's election campaign. It won't be a huge issue with the public, I'm sure, um, but it will be there. Um, and... And I think the crossbench, especially in the Senate, is angry with any any sort of weak form of thing that, that they put up. But the fact that, that Gladys has gone because of IBAC, I think that, uh, ICAC, I think that will mean that Morrison and his ministers will not be too keen to, to push for one. They'll put up their little weak one, which I think will be knocked back by Labor and the Greens and the Senate and crossbenchers. We, we do need it, and, and it should be there. It should be there now. Darren, how much, I, mean, I guess there's no way of really knowing, but how much corruption do you think happens in public office in Australia? Well, it may surprise you. I think less than we think. I mean, I didn't see any of it. Um, we're getting proof of it now, though, with the um, the new um, Pandora papers coming out um, about around the world of various journalists. Uh, it, it does go on. I, I, there are questions as to how a... A $3 million property in New South Wales for a new airport can be sold for $30 million. Now, there are questions there. I mean, I think pork barrelling uh, could be examined, although that, that's a fine line because that's politics and it's hard to prove. Like the sports rorts cost Bridget McKenzie a job, but it's very hard to prove it was criminal. Um, and remember, Gladys Berejiklian, when asked about pork barrelling, said, virtually said, I'm paraphrasing, that pork barrelling's fine. Everybody does it. I, everybody does it. I think were the words that uh, the word? she yeah, used. Everybody does. I mean, and I, I think she's right. Everybody does do it, but it's not right because it rips because off everybody else. Well, the the, 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 the parking station scandal that, that hasn't caught on at all. But the, the Morrison government was was spending millions of taxpayers' money on parking stations, mainly, mostly, overwhelmingly, in in in, in liberal seats or marginal liberal seats. And the That's thing is, what's, what's corruption and what's not, Darren? Here in Victoria, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, WorkCover uh, charge the health department with 58 breaches over the hotel quarantine fiasco yeah. that happened here last year. Now, I'm pretty sure that if it was a private company that was organising that and they committed those 58 breaches, the company and the chief executive and the uh, the board and whatever, they all would have been charged. That's a very good point, Tony, because that's what makes me uncomfortable about this whole thing. And it's meant to be like they could face, the department could face a $90 million in, $90 million in fines, which the taxpayer would have to pay. Um, you're quite right. A department didn't do this. People did it. You know, directors did it, general managers did it, CEOs did it. It wasn't a department that did it. And so I don't think a department should be charged. People should be charged. I mean, this, without going into it all over again, and you and I have done this many times, but the hotel quarantine scandal was a true scandal. It has besmirched 
the Andrews government forever because people died. Uh, but apart from that, they spent millions of dollars on, 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 a, on an inquiry which went nowhere. Everybody lost their memory. It, I mean, if, if you've got $100 for every time somebody said, I can't remember, I don't recall, you've got to fill the, the taxpayers' coffers. Yeah, well, I think the law is pretty clear. Work cover does have the power to charge and fine and convict individuals. Yet, for as, some as, reason, as it should, as it should. Yeah, yet for some reason, it's chosen not to do it on this occasion. And the thing that really irks me is they've given no explanation whatsoever. They've just said the matter's closed. The issue with uh, ICAC, though, and IBAC, and all, all of these watchdog sort of uh, things, um, how do you actually? you know, pressure the government to, to do the right thing here? Because obviously Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, he, he doesn't want issues that, uh, and he doesn't want something that he can't actually control and, uh, and, and it's better for him not to have it because then he doesn't have to deal with it, with the ramifications yeah, look, if, of the if, 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 But if during the, there's not much you can do because we tried, I tried hard, we've tried hard. Uh, Labor can push it. I think Morrison and his tacticians will say it's not a massive election issue. issue taxes elections are all about money you know your back your hip pocket is how am i be, going to be better off under this government or that government you know will i will i be able to pay my mortgage will i still have my job will i be able to do this will my personal income tax come down which always appeals to people and i think under the morrison government they will do that again um you know even if even if it's not economically smart but they will um, so on your question, I, I don't know what you do, but I, I know Labor is building up to make it an issue. Uh, but as I said, I don't think it really bites deeply into people. Although you've got to look at it and say, look, look what ICAC's done. They put Eddie Obeid in jail. They put other people, McDonald's, they put people in jail for corruption worth millions of dollars in New South Wales. And if it hadn't been for ICAC, it wouldn't have happened. What it actually stuns me is that, you know, we've had a federation since... 1901 we're now in 2021 so 120 years and we still don't have a proper body that can investigate these things why is it all become an issue now why is labor only you know pushing for it now why didn't they yeah, well, do they, it when they, they, they were in government they didn't bring anyone when they were in government when i first floated it um uh, when i was in, this, in canberra uh, i got very lukewarm response from labor They've, they've embraced it now, to be fair, but they want to call it the Integrity Commission. You know, and I thought, we know what anti-corruption commission means. Integrity, you can have a breach of integrity that isn't a breach of the law. And I think that's putting a, putting a you know lipstick on a pig. I don't think that's the way you should go. Integrity Commission doesn't sound right. Which reminds me, do you remember when they first brought in the? Um, I may have mentioned this before. When they first brought in the. Uh, the police integrity branch here in Victoria. <laughs> they they were going to call it the police integrity group until somebody pointed out what the acronym was. <laughs> I used to actually live next door um, to uh, the police ombudsman, a wonderful guy called Dr. Barry Perry. Mm. And uh, Barry had a stroke on Anzac Day 2003. Okay. And... Uh, he lived for about 10 years after that, but he was very severely disabled. But when he was in intensive care, uh, he gave his wife the combination for this safe. And in the safe that he had in his office, he had the most 
uh, in delicate documents that he was only he was dealing with. Um, mm. But no one could open the safe without him. So uh, Emma had to uh, get the combination, which took hours and hours and hours and hours, and eventually, after much time, they they opened this very precious uh, safe. Um, but uh, uh, it's it's a big job, isn't it? Uh, mm. you, you know, you 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 you've got to really be. Uh, well, on the ball and, and straight. And squeaky and, clean. And squeaky I, clean. You just give me a memory. Um, going back 60 years, okay? Uh, about 1961, 62, 61, uh, New Zealand appointed its first ombudsman. We couldn't even pronounce the word, you know. Uh, but New Zealand <laughs> had its first ombudsman. And uh, I'm a teenage journo in, at the Taranaki Herald, and for some reason I got to interview him. And I probably asked, at that age, one of the best questions I've ever asked in my career. And I said to the ombudsman, who does the ombudsman complain to? <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't get a, I didn't, just got, I just got a laugh as the only answer. <laughs> but I thought it was a pretty good question. Yeah, that's, yeah well, that's right. It's a, well, why, why did the issue of uh, this Integrity Commission or ICAC or IBAC come before you when you were in the, in the Senate, Darren? What was your... Well, it, it did, and we, that's why I had this. I, 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 I took a group of senators on the road to, to investigate the best form, whether Brisbane was better than Sydney or Melbourne was yeah, better. Yeah, but how than did Sydney. it come to your attention that this was an issue that you were prepared to push? What uh, what led to that? I, I don't. I guess I don't recall to be honest, Tony. I think it's because when I was a journo before I got into Parliament. I always thought we should have one. I mean, it wasn't exactly rocket science. I mean, you'd had it in Sydney for years. You'd had then IBAC was here before I got into Parliament. IBAC in Victoria, and uh, I'm not quite sure how it got to me, but somehow I managed to get it before a Senate committee, and then the committee approved that I should take a team of senators and we would go around the country and uh, and and talk to people inside the various agencies. And it was, it was absolutely fascinating because you know you're talking in camera to. Uh, to people who have got, who are you know, holding some of the great secrets of of Australia. Well, it's interesting that a lot of these secrets don't come out until someone's died. I mean, I mean, yeah. who, who would have known Robert Askin was uh, corrupt? I guess people in well, the we thought did. he was. We couldn't. Look, we, I did. I was editor of a paper when he was the premier, and we thought he was corrupt. Uh, and, and and but we couldn't. Anti-defamation laws, you couldn't prove anything and you couldn't get anybody uh, to, to, to go with it. I mean, Askin was so corrupt that... Remember Peter Abel, Sir Peter mm, Abel? Sir Peter Abel's good friend of Bob Hawke. Yeah, well, Sir Peter Abel's... Do you know how he got his knighthood? No idea. He won it in a card game. With, uh, <laughs> he was playing cards with, 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 um, with Arthur George, Peter Abel's, Robert Askin and somebody else. Um, I think even Murdoch may have gotten there had a card game occasionally, but with no no... Nothing sinister, but um, Askin lost some money to to um, Sir Peter Abel at the card table, and he said, "Well, I think it was forty thousand dollars." He said, I'll, "I'll give you a knighthood instead." <laughs> and and Arthur George said, well, "What about me?" And he said, "Well, you'll get next time." And certainly enough, down the track, suddenly it's Sir Arthur George as well. So well, what's interesting is that there's no Sir Rupert Murdoch though. No, there's not. Now Matt, that could be of his own of his own volition. I mean, some people don't want don't want don't want or wouldn't accept knighthoods. But no, Robert Askin, who's a, a trivial pursuit. What was Robert Askin's real name? Oh, well, I haven't got no idea. Robin. 
Robin Askin. I he, always, changed it, he, he changed it to Robert when he got elected Premier because it sounded more masculine. Yeah, right. I, I remember when uh, uh, LBJ came to Australia in mm. 1966 and uh, people were protesting because it was in the middle of the Vietnam War and uh, yeah. they were doing some motorcade in Sydney and people were lying in the middle of the road to try and stop the motorcade. And Askin apparently famously said, run the bastards over. Do you remember that? Yes, yes, I do indeed. He did say that. Run the bastards over. That was Askin. And the other one, another bit of trivia from that very trip. Do you know who um, was LBJ's bodyguard on that trip? Mm, no, no idea. A guy called Rufus Youngblood. Secret Service man. And he was the man you see diving over the car to grab Jackie Kennedy after JFK was shot. Oh, right, right. Rufus Youngblood, his name was, yeah. Right. Well, now, can, can, can we finish on a bright note um, for this one? Because I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Twitter fan, obviously, um, a devotee. Um, and I saw one of yours, and it got me interested... Why is Bruce Springsteen's No Surrender one of the greatest songs of all time? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, I was, uh, I was sitting at home and going through YouTube on the big TV, which I do when I get a quiet moment, and, mm. um, and sometimes I just play music on there, and, and, and I've got speakers sort of in the roof and whatever, So, and I was having a whiskey as well, and I came across No Surrender and I put it right up. And uh, I thought, gee, this is a fantastic, there's something about the beat, the way, I mean, a lot of people probably wouldn't think he's a great singer, but I just love his grunting and groaning that he does. It just fits in with the music. You don't like it? No, no, I've, look, no, not don't like him. I've never been a great fan or great follower, uh, but he has that, you know, um, born in the USA and stuff like that. I think Glory Days song. is another great. Glory, Glory Days is a, was a great song too. Yeah, I, look, I do that. I I play music through my TV uh, on Foxtel all the time uh, at night time because I don't watch much television apart from news. Um, but I uh, a song that most people would not, the recent song they've been playing. I really it's been in my head a bit, and people don't like it because of meatloaf and his performance disgraceful performance at the grand final yeah well i think he's been uh, a little bit unfairly maligned it's not that easy to sing oh, hey he was he was either either it was hung over or whatever that day it was not look i love meatloaf i um and the point i'm gonna make i play one of his songs two out of three ain't bad all the time yes that great um, that album bad out of yeah. hell which came out in 1977 you you, you put that up full bore and you just it yeah. spins your head around it's fantastic yeah. yeah took the words right out of my mouth you know stuff like that my, my best meatloaf story two things when i was at 3xy we uh 3xy we 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 called germany to try and talk to meatloaf at the hotel he was staying at and they put us through to the kitchen <laughs> Who want meatloaf? They put us through the kitchen, and, uh, and the other thing was that you know non-roadie people wouldn't know this, but it's very easy to segue from one one track on a disc to the next one, right? And I mistakenly, um, I wasn't I wasn't playing it myself. I, I didn't touch the machines, but uh, but I didn't jump in fast enough, and we segued. I think from uh, from bad out of, from um, bad out of hell into Paradise by the Dashboard Light, <laughs> which is one of the most you know, explicit, <laughs> sexy songs ever. And back then in 70, 78, 
it was it was not it was not cleared for playing on Australian radio. Yeah, well, that reminds me of uh, Cold Chisel's song "K Sand." That that wasn't allowed to be played on Australian radio for a while because there's a line in that song talks about uh, Asian princesses with their legs always open and their it minds said, the, often yeah, closed. Their, their, their legs were always open, but their minds were often closed. <laughs> And it reminds me of segues as well. When I was in Alice Springs, uh, I worked at 8AJ and one of my jobs was to announce the funeral notices, Mm -hmm. you know, and you'd go through maybe four or five funerals of all the people that died that day or the previous day and you'd you'd do the names and when the funeral was going to be held and whatever and whatever. And then at the end of this thing, you were supposed to sort of have a silence and then go into an appropriate song. (laughs) Well, Well... I had, not knowing, I didn't do it on purpose, Darren, uh, but I was accused of doing it. I had Patrick Hernandez and Born to Be Alive. <laughs> Remember that song? <laughs> yeah, I do indeed. Look, those sorts of mistakes, I'll tell you two quick ones because I may have been repeating myself and told you this months ago, but in Dunedin once, um, a lawyer was m- murdered when somebody sent him a bomb in the post and when he opened it, it went off and he was killed. And they, it was a news broadcast. And they came straight out of that story and into a Cliff Richards song, which was Send Me Your Love and a Package Labeled Dynamite. <laughs> and in, in similar vein, when, um, when the Governor-General of Australia, uh, Viscount Dunrossel, died, uh, it was on the Channel 7 News. Gee, that's I'm a long this back time ago. I've never heard of that guy. Yeah, he was a Governor-General of Australia, Viscount Dunrossel. And uh, Viscount Dunrossel died, was in the 7 o'clock news, and at the time, and it said, the story said, and Viscount Dunrossel was cremated. At the time, a very famous brand of televised cigarettes was called Viscount. <laughs> and they cut straight to the ad, which read, light up of Viscount of Viscount. <laughs> Light up of my gout. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious me. By the way, uh, did you catch... We, we did talk about ABBA releasing their new music mm. some podcasts ago. Did you, did you catch up with any of their new songs? Um, oh, I love I love the new... And, and the couple of the, the docos they showed were actually filmed a couple of years ago, I think, but they were very good. I'm not quite sure how this visual sort of whoopie do brand new form of concert next year in London is going to work, but... Uh, because uh, they're not there personally. It's actually it's it's a visual thing, you know. It's a computerized thing, apparently. But it, it'll it'll pack them out. Look, my my background with ABBA is very good because I was editor of the Sydney Sun at the time that they were such huge success in Australia, and they were bigger in Australia before they were big anywhere else in the world. Um, and I, I I was the president of the of the ABBA fan club in Australia, so I know them very well. It was quite emotional uh, for me watching uh, them now. You know, and age changes people. Yeah. You know, they, they've done fairly well. They they still look, uh, you know, very, very together well, well, and dignified. Anna, Anna married one of her fans, which didn't work. Uh, he was almost he was almost a stalker, and and she married him, um, which is weird. And they they were offered millions to get back together again years ago, and turned it down. But um, you know, and they, I went to their concert in Sydney, which wasn't as good as we thought because. They were experimenting with all sorts of non-ABBA songs at the time, and they played a lot of them. You know, because I think they went on and the males went on and did uh, a musical called Chess and things like that. But um, 
So I wasn't overly overly impressed. But look, they were an enormous, they were an enormous um, success in Australia. They were, and I formed the ABBA fan club when I was driving to work one morning, and uh, this little kid, three-year-old, is riding around on his tricycle singing, Fernando, Fernando. <laughs> How the hell is that going on? And so I asked people at the office and we started a, a one-day-a-week ABBA page in the newspaper. And uh, I had to, believe it or not, and I said, become a member of the ABBA fan club. And just, I mentioned this recently, and somebody sent me a, a photograph of their membership card of, signed by Darren Hinch. I'm a member of the ABBA fan club. Um, but I had to go upstairs to the Mahogany Row and ask for some more money because in two days we got 30,000 members of the ABBA fan club. And we had to mail them all a certificate, <laughs> and that's quite a lot of money. Is there one ABBA song, Darren, that um, stands out for you above the others? Probably um, the best disco song ever written, and that was Dancing Queen. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Dancing <laughs> it, Queen. It is. It, it's still, it has an age. I mean, people would, I bet, still, I don't go to nightclubs anymore, but I'm sure that people are still getting up off their feet, off their bums, and, and dancing when Dancing Queen comes on. It's just a really wonderful feel-good song from the start. That's sort of like, I don't know, it was a piano where they just run their fingers mm. along that piano and get all the notes all at the same time. And then it but just coming breaks back, coming, out. Back, coming back to favourite songs and you and no, no Surrender, I'm more of the, of the school of what we used to call music to, slish, to slit your wrists by, you know. The, 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 female, the Jewish female Americans, I loved, you know, I loved some of their songs and... Uh, like the drinking uh, songs, the really, uh, you know... No, no, sad, really sad songs, you know. And, yeah. Uh, Jane Oliver and Barbara Streisand and, you know, Janice Ian. That, uh, that sort of music I, I still really enjoy. Yeah, well, it puts you in a particular mood. M music is such a wonderful <laughs> thing, isn't it? It just touches you at levels that you just don't even understand. You, yeah. you can hear something from along... I always say, slipping away... Uh, your mate Max Merritt. That's Max just Merritt, yeah. one of the best songs ever written, yeah, and, and that's stood the test of time as well. Just uh, that's fifty God. years old. Yeah, that and that's song. that's 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 sixty years old. Fifty, sixty years old. Yeah, has to be. Yeah. So I've, I said to you before, I first saw Max Merritt when he was a backup singer, backup act to a guy called Ray Columbus, who was a it was a New Zealand who became quite a star in, in Australia in his, little, in his velvet suits and things. But uh, but Max Merritt uh, was you know was now lives or was living in. Last time I heard from him, he was living in Los Angeles and he, he's had a hell of a good life. Well, he, he passed away, I think, last year. That's, that's he, right. You yeah, spoke yeah. to him just before. He, that's uh, right, just before away. he died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mr. Right, Hinch, uh, wonderful to talk to you again. <laughs> Have a good week, and uh, we'll catch up again next week. Talk soon.